right, we're talking about how to build a resilient body. I think we kind of want to approach this from like a movement standpoint first. There's kind of a lot of ways we can kind of go with this one. Um, yeah, there's a lot of things I think that we can be doing in training and like as like for us as strength coaches and movement coaches, like I think some of the things we do really well is help construct a training program that has elements in it that like, well, while we're not really focused on longevity in terms of like the training, most of the training outcomes, I think there is some stuff in a lot of our training designs that's pretty consistent that allows for just longevity in that training program and, and, you know, things like joint integrity and um, just building like good quality movement patterns um, from like a program design standpoint. So yeah. Do you have anything that's like, that comes to mind? Like when we're talking about building a resilient body, is there anything that you think that you do really well with program design around that? Um, yeah, I'd say probably like one thing and it might just have to do with like who I work with in general, but no one is really coming to me or I don't really work with people that are like, I don't really give a shit about the long term. I just want to get the goal now. Like most people that I have conversations with like, yeah, like I want to chase this thing, but I also want to be able to do it for like the next 20, 30 years. And I I want to be able to like train for the rest of my life. So I I suppose it's like people are coming into training with that lens. And I don't know if that's like a newer thing. I think the training culture has definitely shifted in that regard. Like people are are more mindful of like how they can be moving for a long-term like period of time, which I think is great that we've kind of gotten to that place where people are thinking about, longer term strategies um so i guess it's like it definitely frames my lens even if i'm writing like a specific goal driven program for someone like i'm i'm kind of always coming at it from a lens of like okay what what things does this person also need to be moving with quality for the rest of their life so those Mm. things are just always like it's almost like they're the bedrock of the program or the bedrock Mm. of the training And, and it's kind of how i think about my own training as well like i'm i'm trying to balance like pushing and striving for these things that might be like a little bit shorter term, but also there's just like this really strong undercurrent of Mm. movement tools that I'm using that allow me to just like keep training for the rest of my life. Yeah, for sure. I think like there's kind of two places I want to go with this. One is like, excuse me, the micro picture of like maybe what are some training tools? What are some, like methods that we use on a very specific level that people can sort of take away to, to build resilience and especially like, you know, end range adjust metrics or just some stuff around building good quality, resilient movement patterns. And then there's also like the broader picture of, you know, maybe how we balance training as a whole and how we look at training over a longer period of time. And as you said, I think it's good now that at least the people we work with, they're kind of, they're in it for the longer haul. Like there's mm. not as much of that um, really short term. And, uh, you know, that that's still in the market for sure. I think there's still a lot of people who just, you know, do stuff in their training for, for the short term. I want um, my abs yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Well, unfortunately, I think that's that's still like, the market is still very geared like that. I think, you know, like we've been in it for a long time and, luckily we kind of see through a lot of that shit now, but that stuff still sells a lot, right? Like it does eight weeks to wash for abs or whatever it is. Like, um, yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit like warped, um, with this sense of reality, but 
definitely the conversations I have with people, <clears throat> not really the people I coach, but maybe just when you're having a conversation with a friend or someone you meet um, and they're like talking about training in that really transient sense. And they have this picture of like, I'm going to be, I'm working towards this goal and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, or I'm doing like a detox or a cleanse or something like that. It's like this really um, short-term thing that they think is going to get them a really good result long-term perhaps. Mm. And I think like, it does remind you that that stuff is still out there, but there's like, I, I think having that conversation is important because then you can kind of like start to tweak their, their frame around like why they're chasing that in the first place. And then also how to sort of set them up with a, like what's important to them with their training and, and just start to ingrain like some of the longer term thought processes around like actually getting what they want, but then also, you know, changing their, their, I guess, lifestyle around their training so they can do it for a long time. I won't go there. I was going <laughs> to, I was going to divert the conversation to why people orientate towards themselves towards short, to short-term change. But I think that's a, a deeper issue for another co- conversation. We'll stay on resilience today. <laughs> um, I don't mind yeah. a little, little diversion. So if you little want to toes in. <laughs> No, 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 no. It's too deep. It's too deep. We've, all right, uh, all right. We'll leave that for the next I, one. Yeah, I have been thinking about that a lot lately. Um, but one thing I wanted to maybe go into just before we like do start to go down the route of like tools that we use short and long term. Um, what do you think of when you think of resilience? Yeah, it's a great question. Or how would how would you define resilience? I think resilience is like the ability to tolerate stress over a extended or like maybe the most blunt specific definition would be like in training terms would be like the ability to tolerate stress in the body over a period of time. Mm. Um, and within that, there's going to be kind of like different ways that you, um, what am I trying to say? like different things that you need to need to be really um, I was going to say resilient against, but um, like structurally sound with in terms of like moon patterns and like, like if I think about resilience in training, that's kind of, I'm thinking about like, okay, well, there's going to be some kind of like, you need to have some, some uh, like a, an armor against chaos kind of thing. Like there's going to be, there's going to be like moon patterns you're exposed to in your sport and things that you train for, or if you are doing sport, but regardless, like, even if you're doing a bodybuilding program or whatever, like there's, there's certain like movement profiles that you, that you'll go through like a bunch of joint contraction, but then there's also like shit that you just like, you might like drop a dumbbell and like tweak your arm or something like that. Like you're doing dumbbell mm. bench. Like I say that all the time. Um, there's just, there's like a certain element of chaos that I think when we're, when we when we're building a resilient training program we're building a resilient body like there's always going to be like a chaos element that's in the back of my mind that i want to make sure that we're building protective mechanisms to tolerate that and the the i guess the paradox of that is that like you don't know where that's going to be um mm. there's always going to be weird stuff that happens in outside the gym with movement and you know that's yeah. how we get injured right yeah, this is like really coinciding. I've been reading um, Nazim Taleb's uh, Black Swan lately. Like I've mm. kind of just been dipping out of it and he's like- So good. Yeah, so like that whole concept of um, like the Black Swan 
a little backstory for people that like don't quite understand it is essentially before Australia was colonized or um, settled by the Western world, there was no, like there was this notion of the black swan. It was like a, a thing that didn't exist because um, the world only knew white swans. Like there was only white swans in the Northern hemisphere. And then the settlers came to the Southern hemisphere and then lo and behold, there's all these black swans. So it's like, there's, there's this event that couldn't be predicted that, then has just like pretty much shattered the conception of what people or perception of what people think swans possibility is. Mm. Um, and, the, and like a similar black swan event was um, like nine 11, like the perception mm. of what would happen when people were flying was like very different before and after that event, it kind of like changed the, 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 the way that we see the world. And his whole thing is like, um, like we're more, likely to be affected by what we don't know than what we know yeah which is there's a section in there about like the anti-library and like your your knowledge is um more influenced by the books that you haven't read than the books that you have read yeah yeah, yeah and i kind of i think about that in training like what you're saying there is like armored armored against chaos like within a training design like if you only focus on the really structured things that like keep you within these parameters like yeah you're going to build resilience but you almost need like these injections of things that like make the system the human go holy shit like i need to i need to really respond to this otherwise i'm going to be quite compromised and i think that's where like intelligent Mm -hmm. program design can like interweave these elements of chaos to start to like really build resilience from like this global perspective versus it just being like, Oh, we just do strength training and like, yeah, we're kind of resilient. I think you actually, you like, you really need to like, as you said, you don't know what's coming. Mm. Yeah. I think about that, like with um, like how we can, we can sort of actually introduce those elements of chaos. And I think like one thing that springs to mind there is, like skill progression is actually a great way to do that because you can start with Mm. like really basic level skill work with a, like a long timeline for progression and like that ability to like start to learn that skill is a way that you can sort of step up that level of chaos a little bit. Like, Mm. let's say you take someone and they're, I don't know, they're learning like a, how to do like a Turkish get up or something like that. And it's like, yeah at the start they're going to be really uncoordinated they're like trying to figure out how to do the movement it's like really awkward and shit like that but they're probably also using like pretty light loading it's not really exposing their joints to like really extreme range of motion kind of thing um it's not like they're diving super hard in the deep end of like volatility with the movement either so Mm. they can like you can kind of like but but it does create this like this um like oh shit moment i need to figure this out kind of thing you know yeah. So, so when we start, when we talk about chaos and training, I think it's, we want to be clear that like, we're trying to create like controlled chaos in a, in a sense, like it's, yeah. it's, it's not like we're like, like I've seen, cause I've seen some training designs that for better or worse, maybe the, the, the chaos part of it is like a bit dangerous and maybe a bit, um, you know, yeah. like it sort of throws people in the deep end and well, I think that's, that's really common in a lot of big CrossFit programs. It's like how fucked up can we make this shit? Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. So the people are just like ended and just wasted at the end. Yeah. Like I, I think those things are important every so often to have those moments of like, Oh my God, I was so underprepared for that. Mm. But like, if that's the bedrock of your training, you're just like, 
you're never getting better. You're just like, oh my God, I suck all yeah. the time. Yeah. Yeah. And also like, yeah, as you said, it's, it's, it's um, probably doesn't lead to like a good productive training environment long-term unless like you're in a specific period where you're like really like trying to break someone down or something like that, like in tactical yeah. training or something like that. But anyway, that's a, that's a very um, obscure example. So, yeah, I think, um, so yeah, control chaos, um, that's kind of like, yeah, that I think that's a really important part of building resilience because yeah, when we kind of lay out like a training design, there is a certain, like there's a bunch of parameters we sort of, we're trying to work within. And I think like, especially with, um, especially the, the more advanced someone gets in terms of progressing their, their strength or their like, or they've just got like a really good, like aerobic base or something like that. Mm. the the more trained someone is like the more you need to push them in terms of the stimulus right like and they'll get yeah. they'll actually get you know not a, a lot of people realize this but like you get fewer and fewer gains like the fitter you are it's kind of a bit of a trap right yeah yeah <laughs> don't get you, fit yeah yeah the fitter you get like the harder it is to make progress unfortunately yeah so, well just because that like that shock to stimulate change has to be so potent yeah yeah and this the signal for that needs to be so clear whereas like the example that i like to think about is like if you get an untrained person and like they haven't done anything for like 10 years and you put them on a like an assault bike mm -hmm. their legs will get muscular growth they'll hypertrophy their legs because that stimulus is just like everything for them whereas like you put someone that's really well trained on a bike they could sit there for like fucking three years and they're not going to get any response yeah or like put someone who's really well trained into like a back squat program and they like add 0.5% muscle mass on the legs. Or yeah. Something, you know, like, yeah. Whereas old mate sit on the bike and he's putting like 20, 20 pounds on his back squat and he hasn't even squatted. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's got huge, huge legs <laughs> growing out of his shorts and shit. Just doing his <laughs> <old> bike. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Like, so the, yeah, the, the stimulus has to be appropriate. Obviously um, there's like different levels you can work within with introducing that chaos um what like is there anything else from like the other thing i was sort of thinking with this conversation is like sort of balancing the nervous system as well i think is important mm. when we're talking about like um building resilience i think um i think there's a lot of and like this is this is kind of where i think this is going to go a bit rogue but i'm going to go there anyway because um, <laughs> we like doing that on this um podcast um i think there's actually a lot of resilience in in rest as well like when we think about resilience, like I think a lot of things that spring to mind in your, in your mind is like things that are stressing the, the organism and things that are creating a lot of challenge and things like that. But I think learning how to rest really effectively, and I'm, maybe I'm just like speaking to myself right now, but whatever. Mm -hmm. um, learning how to rest really effectively and really deeply can actually be a really important part of like resilience as well not in a sense that like you're just getting rest for training but actually mm. developing the ability to rest is like really yeah. important as well you know yeah i think why well, I, I think that's like from a long-term perspective it's the key to resilience mm. is, is really being able to regulate the nervous system so that you can respond appropriately to the stress like you said before like um resilience is the ability to tolerate stress on the body over a period of time mm. And the, the tolerate comes from being able to like respond effectively. Yeah. 
And yeah. when that nervous system is just highly aroused all the time, like you're, you're merely reacting, you're not responding. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also like, it's putting you in a position to be able to like respond to stimulus again, as you said, like, I guess that's a different, just a different way to sort of put it. Um, but like, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's one thing that I think people sort of just think about in a very like black and white fashion when they're training. Like, it's like, okay, I know I've got to get enough rest for recovery, whatever, you know, and that's kind of it. Like, it's not like, like even just learning how to just sit um, in the absence of stimulus is like a mm. really, it's, it's almost like a superpower now, you know, like, yeah. and I've kind of been playing out with that a lot with even just with work and um, just periods in my day where I'm just trying to like make myself a bit bored kind of thing. Mm. Um, like just sit with, like literally either just doing nothing because it's so uncomfortable for me or yeah. having some kind of form of, um, you know, large removal of a lot of like the things that excite my nervous system and things that like stimulate me. And yeah. I think in training, like as well, if you can, if you can like have frames of that in some form of um, the way you train your body, then you'll actually set yourself up to be really responsive to the things that are really intense as well. Like not just doing the things that are really intense all the time and being stimulated by that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like, I, I suppose as well, that's how, when we're talking about before, I think this, the nervous system and like the um, more of like the movement quality stuff sets the environment to be able to respond appropriately. Like, um, that, and that's how I kind of look at all the movement work. It's like, you, you're not really stressing the system with a lot of that stuff, like a lot of the stretching or like the, um, end range joint isometrics. Like it's, it's a little stress. Like I'm sure there is stress there going on, but it's so minute that the actual benefit you're getting is you're setting the environment so that when you do go into the stress, like say it's the back squats or whatever you, whatever your chosen stress is mm. like yeah, your frame is just so much better organized. Yeah. Yeah. To respond. Um, and I, I, yeah, I guess that's where, like, I think that's what resilience is in training. Like there's like this mm. ability to hold that space and then respond to the chaos, hold the space, respond to the chaos, hold the space, respond to the chaos. And it's the same as in life. Yeah. Like, the more you can sit in that space of being like really open and relaxed like the better you'll respond. And like, we've, I think we've spoken about this example on the podcast before, but um, Rob Wilson, the guy from Art of Breath, whose mm. who's stuff is incredible. Like his, his work's really, really good. Um, he used that example of, the, of, of his dog and like the dog <laughs> is just like chilling out in the house all day, just like super relaxed. And then the postman comes by and just goes fucking ape shit. <laughs> and then like within it, like three split seconds, the postman's gone, dogs sleep again like yeah he's back to chilling that's a very resilient dog like it's just like able to tolerate the stress and then just like down regulate and go back to being just like super chill yeah yeah i mean it's so funny whenever i think of <laughs> rob wilson now like that's immediately all i think of is like <laughs> it's crazy got, dog dude so if anyone's listening to this jump on your phone or your laptop or whatever google mexican hairless dog because that's what he's got that's what it's he's like okay. these crazy like black um yeah it's not hairless. like a little Pomeranian. <laughs> no, no, no. They dog. look like the devil. Like I think they're actually yeah. like their nickname is like the devil, devil dog or some shit like that. Um, but yeah, they're like 
I kind of want one. They're the very frightening <laughs> animals, but they're, they're, they're very beautiful animals as well. But that's the, every time someone brings up like art of breath or something, I just have this image of this like <laughs> crazy, crazy black, dog. crazy black hairless dog. Got this crazy like black leathery skin. But anyway, now that I've left you with that image, I think, um, yeah, to like kind of back that up as well, maybe that ability to tolerate stress as well as also the ability to like let go of that stress and then mm. like change your nervous system state or like at least facilitate different nervous system states and like the yeah. like the quicker you can do that the the better you'll be at like one also like winding up so upregulating but then also like downregulating it as well yeah the the other example there is like you watch a sprinter like you watch Usain Bolt run and he's only like, he's like so relaxed at the start line, just super chill, boom, on. And then after the race, like relax again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's how you should be training. It's like you should like go in like and be like pretty mellow, upregulate, get ready for the stress, hit it, and then have something to bring yourself back down. Because it's like, if you don't do that, you're just going to be sitting in this static stress space. Mm, yeah. And man, I do it like, uh, as you said before like we're kind of speaking to ourselves here like i did i do it do it all the time like <laughs> i'll like be got me. like i'll be trying to cram my training in before i'm like coaching the afternoon and i'm like just getting like closer and closer to the four o'clock mark for the class starts i'm like fuck, fuck trying to finish this training off i'm like sweating it's hot and then i like quickly have some food and then i'm like all right guys let's go <laughs> And then we're on and, and really I should be spending like an extra 15 minutes just like bringing myself back down to like a, a homeostasis, like a, a base point and then going into the next thing versus like trying to carry that energy. Cause then I'm just like sitting in this like stress response space for the next three hours. I'm going to inject something here that I, I think will be again, a bit rogue, but I've thought about this a lot as well. Um, specifically that coaching example. And I think the reason the reason I do that or, or at least I used to do that is I'm not like coaching in person at the moment, but I think that's actually us trying to like get to a level, like to ramp ourselves up enough to be able to feel like we can perform at that really high level. Cause like mm. we've spoken about this before with coaching, like we both really care a lot about the way we coach and we've got a really high attention to detail and sometimes that can be really overwhelming because we really do care about the people we work with. And I'm sure a lot of people do like, I'm not saying we're exclusive in that matter, but we do like feel a big um, like weight on our shoulders to, to really bring our best selves forward with everything we do. And it's a bit of a knife edge because sometimes that can sort of create a lot of fatigue in our systems, but it's kind of like when I'm like, I've got a deadline to do something as well. And I'm like, I'm using that pressure of the deadline and it's like mm. people are like, oh, well, you're procrastinating, you're procrastinating. And like, yeah, fuck, that's true. I'm just procrastinator. But also I need that pressure of the deadline to get it done. So I'm ramping myself up so much that mm. that's leading me into like, that's, that's the only way I can get, you know, get to that higher level of arousal kind of thing. And I think that's not because, you know, I can't do that elsewhere, but I think when, when there's a lot, I think like, if you're a really observant person and you're really um, aware of your own state as well, then it doesn't like, for me, it doesn't take much for me to be, to feel like overwhelmed when I'm in public kind of thing. 
not like to the mm. point where I'm like freaking out and like I need mm. to go and sit down, but there's so much input that I absorb with just like people walking around noises, shit like that. That's just, you know, like it's, it's a lot for my system kind of thing. Mm. And I think one way that I can cope with that is by getting to a higher level of arousal, right? Like you're, you're pushing mm. your nervous system really high to, in order to deal with that. And like that class environment is kind of like a, like a micro environment of that. Mm. Yeah. I feel that hundred percent. Yeah. My inter my interjection there would be, I don't know if like well, I know personally that's not a long term resilient strategy for myself. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. Like it, like it's definitely a coping mechanism. Like it's definitely a way to to handle that situation, and it it makes it much easier. Um, but I think that's where like okay, like maybe the solution there or the the path forward is to cultivate because I know also like if I'm really down regulated, I can actually handle that environment so much better. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm just able to like, I'm not kind of overthinking things. I'm not stressed about like people's perceptions. I'm not thinking about those things. I'm just able to just like be this space, which in some coaching environments isn't what people are looking for, but like, I guess that's not how I coach anyway. So it's, it's fine. I'm not like a mm. fucking yelling at the top of my lungs the whole time. Um, so I, yeah, I, I guess like my point there would be like the practice in that is to cultivate the ability to go down before doing those things mm. or like you use it as a coping mechanism. Yeah. You go up and you just like stay in that space and it's, it's, you, it makes it easier to handle that stress. Yeah. I think to round this out, like, so we're not like tangenting too much of this it's kind of like I, I think it just comes down to like you probably need more rest than you're allowing yourself to be mm. to, to, to take kind of thing like mm. it's you know like especially if you're really like geared towards getting shit done and you know doing like a really large body of work then you, you do need to be really accepting of like taking rests a lot of the time as well Mm. And I think that's where if you're not like, not even if you like, you need to take more physical rest, but just like, we've kind of spoken about this before, like there's different forms of rest and just realizing that's a productive part of the system and the adaptation. Mm. And this goes along, this, this kind of ties back in with the training side of things as well. Like the, like, it doesn't need to be rest in a sense that like you're doing nothing, chilling out on the couch, whatever there are different forms, but just how you frame it in terms of how it works in the system is really important because if it's, if it's always like a, um, a thing that you feel like you have to do, mm. then it's, it's going to be like tricky to, to catch yourself before you really need to, you know? Yeah. 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 I think that, yeah, that's, that that's a massive point. There is like, it has just as much value, if not more than the actual stimulus. It's not a thing that you have to do. It's the thing that you, you need to do to balance that system out in order to to do the, the harder thing that you want to do. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm. Um, let's zoom into some like training stuff that we actually write in training designs we do, people we work with, um, maybe like even if there's just some like little items that you want to chat about um, from like a movement mm. perspective. Are there any like themes that you feel are pretty consistent across your training that you write in terms of just like, you know, regardless of maybe 
the the training outcomes like even just like joint specific stuff like talk to me what have you got yeah i i I guess like one big thing that i'm always looking for is like how can we create more control and more capacity through larger ranges of motion because i i think like yeah as we do age as we do train for longer periods of time like stiffness and rigidity is a really large component of of that process and that's just something that we kind of have to accept to some degree but it is something that i think like training with good quality ranges of motion and developing strength throughout as much range as possible um, is a really really good way to offset some of the effects of age some of the effects of harder training um and it also like even from the perspective of i find when i'm moving more freely and i've got more freedom available i'm able to relax a lot more like i feel mm. less bound up psychologically because i can move my body through larger range and that feels quite freeing to some degree mm. so yeah i, I i'm i 100 i'm the same like if i do lots of really um high force contraction type training then like i tend to get pretty stiff pretty quickly and get like a lot of tension in my system which can sometimes feel a bit uncomfortable so some training tools would use to kind of combat that or at least um restore range of motion in the system might be like loaded stretching i think can be a good good tool there you've got mm-hmm. a ton of tools on like the movement side of things so maybe you could speak on like how you would just um restore or maybe like improve healthy range of motion in someone's training yeah i like it is super specific like it like it depends on what that person's been exposed to. Like if someone's never stretched, like throwing them straight into like end range isometrics is is like, you're not like you're going to get results, but you're probably just going to get the same amount of an effect from just like putting them in a passive stretch. True. Yeah. It's a good point. Um, so stuff like even super simple, basic passive stretching for some people can be like a nice intervention to, to start to integrate some of this work. Um, but yeah, things like, like you said, like some end range isometrics starting to develop, like the ability to contract at end range, freeze up um, the nervous system a little bit to, to kind of relax the body to go into those places versus being so controlled and protective all the time. Um, they can be quite useful. A lot of the, um, like the joint rotation stuff is, is great as well. Like you're actively trying to control the joint um, through as large a range as possible um, can be yeah, super effective at developing um, that capacity through range of motion. Yeah. The way I've kind of the, um, I, I sort of had in my notes as well, like control lactic rotations and that kind of stuff, I think is really good. The way I usually explain that to people is like, you're kind of doing like really low in, like very, very low intensity strength work. Like you're building mm. the contractile um, tension and coordination through the largest range of motion you can tolerate sort of thing. Mm. So it's not like, cause I think a lot of people do um, or they jump into doing like joint rotational work and they're just sort of treating it like a bit of a stretch or like they're just sort of yeah. flowing through it maybe too much, but sorry, too freely, I should say. Mm. But really what we're trying to do there is like, like if you do like a, um, like a hip controlled articular rotation or something like that, like it's, it's tough. Like it's like it's brutal. You yeah. sweat it cramping like it's pretty tough um and like getting that across is really important because like that's Mm. that's part of um building that coordination at the end range not just like swinging your leg around kind of thing (laughs) like a sort of a warm-up protocol that you would do yeah the the intentionality behind this is is key yeah 
Like yeah. if that's if that's on point, the response is going to be quite effective. Otherwise, yeah, you're effectively just wasting time or just getting some like interesting blood flow happening. Yeah. <laughs> interesting blood flow. I like that term. <laughs> Are you training or just doing some interesting blood flow? <laughs> Maybe that's code word for like getting a boner or something. Interesting blood flow. <laughs> <laughs> hey man i need to leave the room immediately i've got some interesting blood flow going on <laughs> man, if it's you're okay man room... just go to your controlled rotations <laughs> just swing it around a bit it'll be fine <laughs> i wish i knew that in high school that'd be that would have been great it's just interesting <laughs> blood flow it's okay <laughs> It's fine. I need to give this presentation in front of class. I've just got some interesting blood flow. Going on. <laughs> uh, there is few things, fewer things that create more terror than being, being 15 and having to give an oral presentation. It's <laughs> suddenly just getting a giant interesting blood flow blood event. Blood flow. <laughs> Oh, oh man, um, man, I'm I'm sure that a lot of people listening to this will relate. Very <laughs> young male. I don't have any I don't have any advice there for, for them. I don't know if that's a tangent you want to go down or not. <laughs> Make sure you're wearing a belt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, tuck that shit up. That's all you can do. Oh man. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so the other thing um I think <laughs> that um that has been useful across like different train designs is like in terms of building resilience is using like isometrics in different ways as well like um from like a train tool perspective doing things like carries um even just like doing some like overcoming isometrics as well can be really good um (laughs) um, (laughs) but um yeah doing like even just like loading like doing like carries where we're loading one like contralateral carries or um single arm carries just stuff where we're like loading and sort of challenging both the isometric contraction side of things and also <laughs> i've lost it <laughs> like he's trying to recover from from the uh, interesting blood flow scenario um oh, too good. anyway i'll keep riffing on these carries while he's recovering but yeah i think that can be a really good way to um to have it like a really low barrier to entry for doing some like more stability type work because most people can walk around the gym, hopefully. Um, and they can be done like at really light loads initially. And, and they're also, they don't introduce a lot of um, contraction type. That's really takes a lot to recover from. Like it's not typically not going to be a lot of eccentric loading unless they're like picking things up and um, you know, putting them back down a lot. Um, but I really like carries in that sense. Like, even like sandbag carries where we're doing like a bear hug front rack kettlebell um, suitcase carries where we're loading like, you know, one side of the body loading the core. Cause it's kind of, it is, it is teaching that coordination a little bit. And then also introducing like a little bit of, um, you know, unbalanced loading kind of thing as well. So we're trying to resist against that and we're, we're like teaching the body to resist against flexion extension or rotation or whatever it is. Mm. Yeah, a lot of that stuff I feel just takes people out of their conventional ways of moving. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and I, I guess that like at, as well, like a lot of the the cars, the powers, rails, 
is you're exposing the system to to ways that you wouldn't normally move mm. and trying to get strong within that place. And then like, and that's, that's all training is really like, you're just giving the system something that's slightly greater than what it's done before. Yeah. And then just slowly exposing it to more and more of that over time. Yeah. And that's how we build resilience essentially. Like it's not about going from like, okay, you haven't done anything chaotic for a while. Let's throw you into like uh, uh, like a 200 kilo yoke carry. That's going to make you adapt. It's like, yeah, you're probably going to adapt. You're probably not going to be able to train for three weeks. So you'll lose that adaptation. <laughs> yeah. Um, the spine is adapted to breaking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty much snapped. Um, and then, yeah, that's where like the, because they are quite low on the stress side of things, like, like you said, they're not, systemically they don't create that much fatigue because there's no like mm. eccentric loading or anything not or minimal eccentric loading um they can be yeah, really really useful tools that can just be sprinkled in there mm. yeah same as like sled work right like a lot of sled work pretty minimal eccentric loading um a lot of like joint contraction yeah like mm. a lot of contraction volume sorry that's going through the system like especially doing like a reverse sled drag I think, man, like yeah. if like talking about like the that specifically, like the knees over toes guy, like that's why he was so popular because mm. he just put the right like sort of movement profiles in a really nice package that yeah. made sense to a lot of people. And it was also really easy to execute from like a yeah. technique standpoint as well. And obviously got pretty good results with it. So yeah. And I think that like, that is a really good case study for building resilience. Like essentially all he's done is he's gone, okay, like we're going to train through large ranges of motion. We're going to use high joint contraction rates with like low fatiguing movements that create a lot of blood flow, a lot of volume mm. to the joint, allow it to really tolerate high amounts of work. And mm. you're just building that capacity in that from those two lenses. And it's, yeah, that's like a, like an excellent case study. Cause it's so many people and like, I, I like, I've obviously you see all these case studies, like a million better knees or whatever it is. Um, <laughs> yeah. But like a lot of people got really good results out of their, their knee pain and like their ability to tolerate stress through the knees. And like, yeah. that's pretty much all he did was full range of motion training and, and lower, vo- uh, lower intensity, high volume joint contraction work. Yeah. Yeah. And lots of um, like low force contractions as well, like with the reverse yeah. drag and, just yeah. like a lot of like a lot of good like blood flow work as well. Yeah. Um yeah, and you could you could take that approach to a lot of things. I think that's like a really mm. sound one to use. Like um even something like like a lot of the Edo Portal work was um that I kind of explored really rooted in just like a lot of like volume through specific positions to build adaptation like you're just like doing that thing a lot Mm. and i think that does create a lot of resilience like you look at someone that like say mountain bikers or even like trail runners or something like that like they're doing the thing so much that they don't necessarily need super specific interventions because they've just created so much resilience from doing the thing like a thousand times yeah yeah what would you say along the lines of like having a um training program or maybe like a sport that has really specific movement patterns what would you say about taking like maybe someone's in their off season or um Mm. they're like away from a really large competition period where they're doing those large volumes of contraction type 
what would you say about like trying to take them out of that a little bit, like trying to actually build some like different moon patterns in or, or, or just take them like out of those ranges of motion. Do you think that's valuable? I think it definitely is. I think more from the perspective of like avoiding mental burnout and psychological burnout from like Mm. a full 12 month rounded program of doing the same thing. And then also from the perspective of like, they're going to get to a point, most people within their careers where there's just like that tipping point. And I think a lot of the movement work in terms of exposing them to things that they're not doing nourishes like the human side of them, the thing that allows them to build or just keep going for a longer period of time. It's the longevity approach. Whereas like to tolerate the specific stress, I think they still do need some specific, like some constant loading for like the things that they're using quite frequently. I, I don't know. Oh, I, totally, like, yeah. I haven't, I haven't been in that situation where I've had to coach too many people through that, like, like an elite bike rider who's got like a definitive off season. Um, but you even see it in CrossFit, like a lot of those guys mm. just work. They're still doing the same movement patterns, but it's just like a different speed. So maybe like the speed changes, you're doing a lot more tempo work, a lot more isometrics. Mm. You're still in those positions, um, but you're kind of just like recuperating the structure with a lot of that, like lower, lower intensity, high volume contraction work, isometrics, full range of motion mm. training. So those things can be preserved. Yeah, I think um, it is definitely dependent a lot on if you're dealing with sports applications, like where they are in their season and like, as you said, what what point they are, they're at with their training, their career, their development kind of thing. Like I remember I had like a, actually had a cycling team that I coached through a little bit of my studies. I think I was doing my diploma in fitness or something like that, or fitness, sorry. But um, one of the off-season considerations we're working on is actually just building like muscle mass in their shoulders. It was mm-hmm. a, um, to be to be very specific, it was an off, sorry, it was a, it was a road cyclist team so they're they're like they're they're obviously not carrying a ton of muscle mass they're not supposed to but the off season we did a lot of shoulder work just for injury prevention so if they fell on their shoulder like they had some kind of muscle mass to protect them um because like a lot of them are super lean super super like and then and then going into their um their pre-season on season you're actually trying to like atrophy a lot of their upper body because it's (laughs) not like it's not useful muscle mass for their sport um, yeah. as much as their like leg powers, right? So um, yeah, I kind of think about that. There's like two big considerations. One, I think that you touched on is super important and super undervalued is like treat the, like have a human centric approach. Like if someone's getting really burnt out with their sport or even like before they get burnt out, like give them some other stuff in their training to stay engaged and and just to keep like their, you know, their training interesting kind of thing, like do some other stuff mm. that's going to allow them to, engage in different activities with their body and like even a lot of that stuff can bleed back into the sport specific stuff again in terms of how they learn to move as you said like Mm. with like different tempos and shit um and then the other side of it is like we want to also make sure we're developing like balancing muscle mass and like keeping the joints healthy if you're doing like a lot of like quad specific work for the sport then you're going to need to have some hamstring strength at some point in there to just keep Mm. the joint healthy as well so there's kind of, yeah, there's, there's twofold to that, but I think, yeah, definitely really respecting where that person is in their season and also what the demands of the sport are. Yeah. How you approach that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think the demands of the sport is a huge one. Like, and you, I kind of, I really resonated with um, a lot of Keegan Smith stuff when he kind of came on the scene with the roosters and he was pretty much just throwing, cause like you look at like team sports, like ball sports, they're far more chaotic than that cyclist 
mm. who has to just like do something really linear. And it's like, I guess from the perspective, like he sort of shook things up in the strength training manner where he was doing a lot of different like things that expose that person to the more chaotic nature they're going to be exposed to in the game. So mm. even things like juggling, like trying to get like a prop to juggle a soccer ball, like it's going to improve their footwork, like something like that. That's like a little bit left of field, but it's like away from this, like, okay, we're just going to do five by five back squat and five by five bench press. And that's like the core of our accessory training. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. Like the more, I think it's like, I think there's like some really interesting guys now in the string conditioning space that are bringing really fresh ideas into it. But this mm. idea that like, I think especially with like the, like if you, if you, I remember I had this like older strength and conditioning coach through my diploma, awesome guy. Like I learned a ton from him. I can't remember his name, but he was a, it was from America. Um, but he was just so traditional in his approach, right? Like mm. and in a sense that like he had some really, really solid ideas, but he just wasn't very open to new ideas kind of thing. Mm. Um and, you know, that wasn't a good or a bad thing, but it's just like, I think for us, like we've always been really open to trying different stuff because I've seen really weird shit like work really effectively with different people, you know, like just weird stuff in a sense that like, it's not typically what we'd think about prescribing when we're coaching them. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I think, yeah, just keeping an open mind with that stuff is so important because you, do, you like, you just don't know it like things, as long as it's safe and it's kind of in the realms of what sort of you think will work, then I think there's like, there's a lot of validity in just trying different stuff, experimenting a little bit with mm. training design. Man. I think that's like the bedrock of resilience. Yeah. Experimentation. Yeah. Well, like even just from like what you're saying there with like talking about um, being open enough to try those things. Like you think of someone that's mm. not open to trying something and they're like super fragile. Like you throw yeah. something at them that they haven't done before and they'll either like from a psychological perspective, they'll shut it down straight away. They won't mm. be able to adapt to that stress or they'll literally crumble. Yeah. Yeah. They won't be like able to you, do it. Like, I don't know this strength and conditioning coach, but like you throw something like, okay, I want you to see how many like times you can like, um, you can do that like a hacky sack or something like that. And <laughs> yeah. if that person is like feeling exposed, they can be like, no, nah, fuck that. I'm not doing that. That's stupid. Yeah. <laughs> and that's yeah. like the common trait of someone who's not resilient. They're not able to tolerate the stress. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas you throw that to someone who's open-minded, they're like, yeah, I'll give it a go. And like within like a day or so, they've learned how to do the hacky sack. Mm. Yeah. Super, super resilient. Well, I think like that's that was kind of one of the original foundations of cross CrossFit, right? Like when it like when it first started out, like, you know, try and play new sports, like that notion of doing different stuff that you're not used to getting outside your comfort zone. Like mm. that original picture of it, I think was actually like changed the strength conditioning world forever. And and um that was a really positive thing. Kind of got like a bit weird. Lost. Yeah, a bit lost, I think, for a bit, and especially like, I guess that's a conversation for another time, but um, there was a lot of different branches of it and stuff that sort of just, I think it just got too hectic with like trying to make it something it wasn't. But I think the yeah. original idea of like, yeah, just um, exposing people to a lot of different skills, exposing people to a lot of different environments where they can play and learn how to move their bodies in different contraction types and, and do different um, forms of training like that 
I guess, quote unquote, cross training, that is a really key part to building that resilience long-term. Yeah. Anything else you want to add in? Any last two cents in, on the like movement side of things or anything else? No, I would just say like, like just to finalize, like to carry on with what you're saying there, like something that I really resonate with is being, yeah, being open to different modalities. Like the most resilient I've, I've felt in my training is when I'm like exposing myself to things that like kind of feel a little uncomfortable on that fringe, on that mm. edge. Um, and like, I, yeah, I definitely think that's like a really big thing. Like in the training culture, we, we get stuck with our dogma. We de definitely get like stuck in the ways of thinking and the ways of doing things that either everyone else is doing or that we've done before. And I don't think that's resilient. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Like I've, I definitely feel that within my own body when I get stuck in like doing the same thing. Mm. Yeah. Be open to new ideas, try different stuff make sure it fits into the catalog of your long-term training as well. Interesting blood flow is key. <laughs> <laughs> Go get some interesting blood flow. <laughs> uh, nice. All righty.